Well, hello, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well today. I must admit, this is going to be a very interesting episode with me today. I have a very, I guess I would say, famous car enthusiast as well as just impassioned individual who just loves to talk about cars, loves to do everything related to cars, uh, just he like, likes to collect cars in more ways than one, as you can probably see on the screen. I have Tom Volk with me today, and he's just going to be a joy to listen to and really talk to on my end. So how are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing well. It's a little cold in Seattle, um, you know, maybe not compared to Minnesota, but when it gets to the low 30s and you're shooting the car, uh, it's a little chilly. Yep, uh, I can imagine. And uh, I know that you're actually originally from Minnesota. So um, would you say it's, it's bad in Seattle in general is Minnesota or is it better? How would you say the weather is? Well, actually, I... I <laughs> I moved to Seattle for the weather, and obviously we're known for our rainy, gloomy uh, conditions. But you know, when you're from northern Minnesota, you can move just about anywhere for the weather. So I'm not complaining too much. Um, yeah, I shoot cars often in the rain if, if you watch my videos, but uh, you know, cars work perfectly fine in the rain. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, testing in those conditions are, are, are good. And so, um, Seattle's been very, very good to me. So I can't complain. Just just ended up talking to my sister who still lives there and she says it's brutally cold. So I'll, I'll take low 30s anytime. Yeah, but I, can, I can understand that as well. And, you know, just as a person from Mississippi, most of the people in this population, if it gets anything below 40, it's like unbearable. So, you know, most people can't even imagine going into the 20s, teens on a consistent basis. So, yeah, I bet yeah. you've been through some stuff. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I do understand. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, Basically, uh, I am known for reviewing cars. Um, I shoot, write, and edit all of my videos. Um, right now, they're on YouTube and my podcast. I have a video podcast. Um, I spent four years doing a video series for the New York Times uh, called Driven, and um, I've actually operated Driven for the last 10 years, that's been my brand. Um, and, you know, I'm basically trying to show people what is happening in the automotive world these days because cars are expensive. You know, the average vehicle these days costs $40,000. It might be the most expensive purchase that people make these days because real estate is becoming so expensive. A lot of people can't afford homes. So they will rent. So the biggest purchase that they'll make is their car. Um, for me, it's just really important that people understand what they're getting into, what choices there are, because in the last five, 10 years, the industry has changed quite a bit. Um, there are brands that were considered kind of crummy that are now very, very well regarded. There have been brands that have had great reputations have slipped a little bit. Um, you now have electric cars, you have plug-in hybrids, uh, SUVs are much more popular than sedans. So really the last five years has been crazy. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see the difference. 
that's just my mission to make sure that people are well educated when they go to buy their car. That is very, very interesting. And you know, um, I know this, this kind of might just be an unofficial plug, but what would you happen to, I guess, call your daily driver on a consistent basis? Well, um, my, I have two daily drivers um, that are my cars. Um, I have a 1990 Miata that mm. I actually bought new back before anybody knew that the Miata was going to be really hot back in the day. Um, I saw it on the cover of Car Driver and went, I want that car. <laughs> and, you know, I had just moved from Minnesota and I could actually have a convertible. My wife, who's from Seattle, and looked at me like I was on drugs. Um, but, um, you know, so that's one. Um, it's 30 years old and it still looks almost like new. Um, and then four years ago, five years ago, I got an extremely good deal on a Cadillac ELR, um, which is a plug-in hybrid, sort of like the Chevrolet Volt. Um, you plug it in, it goes about 40 miles on electric power. And then it has a gas engine that creates more electricity in case I want to drive to Tampa Bay from here. I can do it without charging up. Um, Plug-in hybrids are one of those technologies that I think people don't really quite appreciate as much as they should. Um, I think it works out really well. But a lot of people don't know what the ELR is because Cadillac made only 2,800 of them. And uh, it was really pretty much a failure. Um, but it is an absolutely beautiful car. Um, people still ask me in parking lots, what is that? And so it's mine. I like it. It's been a great car. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, I, I, honestly, I could understand the Miata, but I was kind of surprised about the Cadillac ELR in a way. I was expecting, hey, I'm a Toyota Camry guy or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, no. No, I mean, you know, look. <laughs> Hey, um, I will never diss anybody's choice of car because, you know, a car is a very personal choice. Um, some people want a four-door sedan. Some people just need something reliable. Some people don't care about cars. They really don't. They could care less. For some people, a car is simply an appliance to get them to work and back home. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. For me, a car is a very passionate sort of thing. Um, I enjoy um, sports cars. I enjoy performance cars quite a bit. Um, and while I don't own a Porsche, I would love to own a Porsche. Um, in fact, I just got out of the uh, 911 Turbo Cabriolet, the new 2021 model, and that review drops on Friday. Um, so that's what I would own. I don't really care about practical cars. Um, none of my cars are practical. Uh, my <laughs> wife has a practical car and, and, and that's fine. No, I've owned a whole bunch of two-door coupes. I've owned a bunch of sports cars. Um, you know, um, and you know, the thing is, is that there's kind of a joke among automotive writers that we own weird cars. Um, and I think it's partly because we get to cycle through so many different vehicles. I probably drive 75 to 80 different cars a year. And so, you know, we've driven Camrys and Accords and all of the normal things. I think when we buy cars ourselves, 
we want things that are entertaining, that are fun, that are different, that are maybe kind of quirky. Um, the big joke among automotive journalists is that we like brown station wagons with diesel engines and manual transmissions. So looking at some classic Mercedes-Benz, probably the classic Mercedes-Benz station wagons, maybe some old Volvos, potentially. Absolutely. But, you know, hey, the, the old Volvos, the old like 244s, those are becoming classics. Um, you know, there's a lot of people your age that that's what they're looking for. They're using them in gap ads. They're using them in all sorts of things. Um, uh, you know, they're 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 enjoying a renaissance. Yeah, and uh, that is very true. And I feel like also just with, you know, the, I guess the automotive just sector in general, there's always this sense of nostalgia that people are just always have about certain cars. Now, obviously, with certain examples, like the Hummer, you know, obviously, that hasn't been off the market for too long. But for things like the the Grand Wagoneer, which is coming later this year for like the 2022 model year, you know, that's kind of been off the market for around 30 years. And speaking yeah. of that specific model, what do you think of what Jeep is doing with that? Well, I think they have to do that. Um, Americans want SUVs. They want large vehicles. Americans really hate minivans. Um, and I understand it. Um, but the reality is, if you're actually looking for something practical and something that's easy to use, something that makes your life easy, nothing is better than a minivan. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. My wife didn't want a minivan until I ended up testing cars. And I started about 15 years ago. And the first minivan that I brought home, she goes, oh, wow, these are awesome, which were, was true. But you know, we were already in a station wagon, a Volvo station wagon, and we weren't gonna be buying a van. And then by the time that gave up the ghost, you know, my kids were old enough so that we, we didn't need a minivan. But, you know, back to the uh, to the, the Grand Wagoneer. Yeah, that's what people want. People are buying um, Kia Tellurides, Hyundai uh, Palisades, large three-row crossovers, um, you know, Chevy Suburbans. And Jeep hasn't had anything like that. Um, in fact, FCA, the parent company, just doesn't really have anything like that. So it was really time for them to do that. I'm kind of surprised that Ram doesn't have something like the Suburban or the uh, the Tahoe, but they, they don't. Um, they don't have anything large that can tow boats or tow trailers um, and do the chores and all that kind of stuff. And yet then also haul a family. You know, it's one of the reasons why people are are, are buying pickup trucks these days. You know, people use those as family vehicles. They're huge. They've got tons of room. They have terrible gas mileage, but gasoline is so cheap these days, people really don't care. Yeah, and I, uh, I completely see that as well, because for instance, in the United States, the top selling vehicle is the Ford F-150, which might yep. sound crazy to some people, but I mean, it sells around 900,000 units every year. And yep. The way that the F-150 has kind of transcended with the pickup market, you could argue whether or not it's the best pickup on the market. You can make the case for Ram in that regard as well. But what it did about 20 years ago with the introduction of the crew cab for the King Ranch, that was basically a game changer for the half-ton pickup trucks. 
And so ultimately, after they started that, basically the pickup as we know it now, you know, with the limiteds and the platinums, the high countries, the Laramie Longhorns, you know, that is what became the norm. That became the trophy truck in instance. It's, the trophy truck is yeah. no longer that thing that's, you know, you know, three feet off the ground with this crazy lift kit, but you know, this thing with, you know, 20, 22 inch chrome wheels and a glossied up interior. Yeah. Hey, you know, the only thing better than a rugged pickup truck is a luxury rugged pickup truck. <laughs> you know, people are proud of their vehicles, right? Um, again, it could be the biggest purchase that somebody makes and people want to show it off. Cars and trucks are not just transportation, they're pop culture, they're status icons, um, they're all sorts of things. And people want to be associated with certain vehicles. And, you know, if you're going to be spending an hour or two every day commuting, um, why not do it in a luxury vehicle or a luxury truck? And the automakers are certainly happy to accommodate that because every time you put an option on a vehicle, that's another revenue stream for them. Um, you know, they're just, they're, they're happy to, to accommodate people um, that they want these super fancy trucks or, you know, super fancy cars. That's extremely true because the thing about those option lists is the more options you put on them, the more money those automakers make. They don't make as much Absolutely. money off of the cheaper cars. They make a lot of the money off of, you know, the people who want the GMC Yukon Denali's and, you know, yep. the 3,500s, even though they'll never tow anything in it, you know, that's where they make their money. Yeah, there was some figure the other day um, that the Yukon Denali, it's purchase price average was higher than, I want to say it was BMW or Mercedes on average. These are trophy trucks. These yeah. are the vehicles that people want to buy. And they're stuffed full of stuff like, you know, the F-150 has the max reclined seats that go nearly completely flat so that you can sleep. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's only for the boss, right? And the boss right. isn't sleeping in his truck. You know, it's it's the worker guy that's working a double shift that could use, you know, an hour nap between shifts that could really use the max reclined seats. But unfortunately, if I remember correctly, it only starts on the King Ranch. And, you know, then you're looking at a $55,000 truck to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, very true. And, you know, ultimately with those, uh, now we're on the topic of F-150 again, I would say that, for instance, with the way these trucks are decked out now, like I saw one figure like in like a moderately equipped XLT F-150 is in the mid to upper 40s, sometimes even going to the 50s just because of the way they're optioned out. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, you also have to understand that um, you can buy a basic pickup truck. There's nobody keeping you from doing that, but yeah. you know, we don't have any willpower. Um, I mean, I like nice stuff as much as the next guy. And the fact that these pickup trucks, um, you know, not all of them are just fancy. A lot of them have some really useful technology. Uh, the Fords, for example, have the generator systems and the one that is in the hybrid 
um, can literally meet the electrical needs of an entire house framing crew. Um, and that's invaluable. For one thing, you don't have to buy a separate generator. You don't have to worry about the gas going bad or whether or not you use it. It's always there. You don't have to worry about it being stolen out of the back of the truck. And as far as the cost of it, it's actually less expensive to get it as the option than it would be to buy a generator that would create that much, um, you know, that much power. Um, so it's actually a pretty good idea, uh, you know, as long as we're on F-150, you know, it's simple things like they've molded a ruler into the back of the tailgate um, because, you know, how many times do you forget your tape measure? Um, I know that whenever I'm doing, you know, stuff, I'm always going, you know, I'm at Home Depot and I go over and I steal a tape measure and then I use it and then I give it back because I've forgotten it. Um, and you know it's it's got it's got wood clamps uh, receptacles in the tailgate. You know small things that really don't cost all that much, but they're really brilliant ideas. And so, you know, just remember you don't have to buy a fancy truck. You can buy a basic truck. And you know if you're going to be using it for work, why buy a fancy one? Because you're just going to beat the hell out of it anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, very true. And now that you, uh, I know you just mentioned just kind of the work that kind of goes in with tape measuring and things of that nature. Uh, I just can't help but think of just what goes into such your intricate videos and things of that nature. Like just starting off about how many hours on average would you say it takes to just make one video? Oh, uh, you know, it, it, on average, it probably takes me from start to finish easily 40 hours. Wow. Um, thing is, I got my start in television news. Um, so one, I'm kind of a stickler about getting the facts right. And I also feel like I have the privilege of usually living with these vehicles for a week. And so I want to make sure that I answer everybody's questions. You know, I try to get to everything that somebody might want to know about the vehicle. And so that means sometimes calling up the PR people at the automakers and asking them, you know, hey, look, is there is there anything about this vehicle that I'm missing? And I'll talk, you know, to them about all of these features. And sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, have you noticed that, you know, in the navigation menu, you can call up augmented reality and it superimposes the camera up there. So it's much, much more accurate when you're driving in an unfamiliar area. Um, there's all sorts of things that, um, that, you know, it's really important for me to get right. Um, and I started off as a news photographer and then I got into production photography. So for me, um, it's just important that everything look good because that's just sort of my thing. I want the cars to look good. That's just kind of the base level. I think that whether I like a car or I don't like a car, um, the equalization is that the car will always look good. I will always present them evenly. Um, and so, um, and, and I love design. I've always loved design. When I was a kid um, and you were talking about, you know, motor trend when you were a little kid, 
I loved looking at the car magazines and looking at the design and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I try to point out things about design that people don't notice. Um, and, you know, I just try to show the car in a, in a, in a, in a reality-based sort of way. Um, and, and so, yeah, it takes time. It does. And sometimes it's my own fault. I forget to charge up a battery and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and my mic batteries are dead. Um, you know, operator error. You know, sometimes it's just conditions. Like the other day we were shooting the Porsche 911 Cabriolet turbo and it was pouring down rain. You know, it's a convertible, um, but it is Seattle. And so that must be, you know, expected. But, you know, it takes twice as long to shoot a car in those conditions because it makes a couple runs back and forth and then you have to wipe the car down because there's road grime all over it. And like I said, the one thing that I insist on, the car has to look good. Um, it's really important. So we must have wiped that car down two dozen times. I, I went through dozens of microfiber towels. And then, wow. you know, editing and then writing because, you know, writing, you know, yeah, you want to give facts, but you also want to make it somewhat entertaining. You know, people are investing their time. If somebody's going to invest 12, 15 minutes watching my, one of my videos, I want them to walk away thinking, wow, Tom Volk did not waste their time, you know? Wow, that's uh, really great to hear. And I have to admit the quality does show through your videos, but I have to admit that's just astounding. Eight, 40 hours a week, that's essentially a second job. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is that with all the writing that I do, like, you know, when I do stories for the New York Times, all of the stuff, every time I drive a car is just another bit of research that I'm doing for other stories. When I'm talking to PR people and finding out, you know, what's coming down the pipe, you know, I know lots of things that I can't talk about. Um, you know, I, I was able to go 18 months ago, I went to Japan and went to Nissan's design center and I saw everything that the company is going to be debuting for the next three years coming from now, because, you know, back then it was almost five years. So, you know, I saw the new Aria EV and what it was really going to look like, and not just the one that they had just shown at the Tokyo Motor Show. I saw the new Nissan Pathfinder that they just showed off. I saw the Z car um, and everybody was like, is there going to be, you know, people didn't know that there was going to be a Z car. So for a year, I had to not tell anybody that I knew that there was going to be a new Z car. But back on track, every time I do a car, you know, I, I notice a trend. I notice a new technology that's starting to trickle in at affordable levels. I just did a New York Times story back about a month ago about how grills are becoming enormous. Like we've all BMW. seen BMW. Yeah. <laughs> The BMW 4 Series grill and the Genesis GV80 and the G80 Audi Lexus spindle grills, they're huge. So I was able to call up designers from Cadillac, from BMW, Genesis, uh, Lexus, to ask them, what gives, guys? Grills don't need to be that big. They, you only need about that much airflow. And 
but why? And, uh, you know, so while everybody else was complaining about, oh, the BMW grill is huge and it's ugly, blah, blah, blah. I just went, you know what? Let's do something about this. Let's call the guy that designed it. Let's ask him why. Why is it that way? And they had fascinating answers. Uh, that that certainly does sound like it. And, you know, I saw this on your website, basically talking about the reason why you kind of just really started driven and things of that nature. And I feel like it just kind of goes into what you were just saying. I feel like a lot of times people have this tendency, you know, especially on YouTube and other platforms to just, you know, kind of just do the bare minimum, just say what other people are saying, just, you know, present videos where they just do place their tripod in front of a car, they talk, they go to the interior, do another location, put their tripod in another location, do another thing, put up maybe one GoPro in the interior. That's how they do the review. Very minimal editing, very little inspiration at all. And, you know, that's something very refreshing about really your channel, because obviously with some of the shots you made, uh, like I said in my uh, initial response to you, I thought that your evil twin was an editing uh, thing that you were doing really for the longest time. I realized that he was actually your twin brother. But... <laughs> And he's hard to work with, you know, <laughs> requires craft services and Perrier water, <laughs> uh, evil twin. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I can just tell just by the way you just present everything. It's just, it's really a step above the rest. There is really no one else like you on YouTube and really, really most other platforms as well as Arguably, I think that you have really some of the best content out there, especially from a person who really does it by himself. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate that because I do work hard. But, you know, really, it's also my own personal indulgence because I love photography. I always have um, ever since I was a little kid. You know, I played with cars and I played with cameras um, and I really haven't changed all that much since I've been five years old. You know, the thing is, is that, again, I feel like I have the advantage that all of these people let me drive their very expensive cars. And I do feel a little bit of a responsibility to be able to do these things right. Um, you know, I do things my way. There are other people on YouTube that are working very hard um, and they produce more stuff than I do. And there have been a lot of people that complain that I don't produce enough videos. Um, and that that's why I don't have any more followers than I do. You know, I have a lot of followers. I have like 140,000 followers. Well, you know, it's not 4 million, but you know, it is what it is. You know, my channel driven is, it's kind of my indulgence. I do, what I like to do. It's very soul satisfying. And you know, um, I can also just tell that with the, uh, the style of your content, um, from whether it's your interactions with your uh, evil twin to the TP trunk test, which is also very interesting and frankly, very, uh, t I guess, good timing just because of what's going on right now. But yeah. um, ultimately, I, I can tell you definitely enjoy this. You make this your own. Um, the style, it's very clear. You don't apologize for it. You're very consistent with your style as well. So, I mean, look, if people criticize you, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, if people criticize you, people criticize you, your content's good. And honestly, I think you know that. 
You know what? Um, people can criticize all they want. I know that I'm putting the work in. Um, and the reality is, is that, yeah, there's going to be a person here or there, but actually the people that are on my YouTube channel are pretty good. Um, yeah. I've actually had other auto writers when I go to these events and there'll be dozens of them. People are like, do you like delete like nasty comments? And it's like, it's got to be really over the top, crazy, nasty and, and really awful. Um, and, you know, maybe attacking somebody else that's, you know, in the comments, you know, I probably delete one, maybe two comments a month. So if you go on my channel um, and you read it, it turns out that there's a lot of smart people, a lot of people that are making comments. A lot of people will point out things that I miss or that I didn't think was all that important, but are important to them. So they'll fill things in. Um, people ask questions. Um, some people who own the car um, will, you know, go into more detail than I did. Because, you know, if I went into great detail, um, these reviews would be a half an hour, 45 minutes long. And, you know, I just don't want to waste people's time. You know, people have other things to do. Um, and and, I, and I, I, I just think it's really important to cover 90% of it and then move on. Yeah, but I think that's a really good strategy just because ultimately you, you would be able to do a pretty good 30 minute, 45 minute segment. But the thing is, the reason why it's not really done by anybody is just because people's attention spans would just go out the window. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter how good your content is. I mean, after a certain point, people are like, look, I have like other things to do today. Your content's great, but like, I can't watch a 45 minute video. Yeah. No, and, and really, honestly, a, a car review should not be 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, if it's 45 minutes, then, you know, you're talking about your mother um, <laughs> and what you had for lunch. Uh, you know, that's silly. Uh, you know, focus a little bit. And that's part of the reason why my reviews take a little bit longer to produce because, you know, once I write it, I go by and I go, okay, what can I take out? You being a writer yourself, you probably understand better than anybody that it's much harder to write short than it is to write long. It's yeah. much harder to write a 10 minute video and get everything in there than it is to produce a 20 minute video because then you can just ramble on and on and on and on. And, you know, eventually you cover everything, but it's, it's really hard to focus. When I was doing the, the New York times pieces, they wanted them no, no longer than four minutes. And I struggled to get, you know, just the most important essences of, you know, essence of, of the car in, but it was really good to do that because it really made me think, wow, what is important about this vehicle? Um, and so, yeah, writing short, that's hard. Yeah. But that is very true. And even uh, from my own experience, um, as you can probably tell, I'm not too far removed from high school. I graduated back in uh, 2019. But when I, I remember back when I was, you know, regularly doing video productions and video stories, um, the general limit for doing stories was my advisor was saying, listen, the stories need to be longer than a minute 30, but 
they should not surpass two minutes. And I was always the guy who had the story that was two and a half to three minutes long. And it's just like, you have to cut this. But you know, yeah, yeah the, the struggle is real, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. And I think, um, you know, I also do, because I grew up in broad casting. You know, I started um, in northern Minnesota um, at KDLH Television, the CBS affiliate in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and then I went down to WCCO in Minneapolis, which is, which at the time and still is, is considered one of the better affiliates in the country. And then I was lucky enough to move to Seattle and work for King Television, which was considered to be one of the best photography stations for decades. Um, and I learned so much from everybody there. Um, and you learn all these tricks, um, how you can actually show one thing, but talk about another. You know, you don't have to literally say, the doors are very easy to open by just pushing this button. You don't have to say that. You can just be talking about how, you know, the design of the car is great and then showing how easy the door is. You don't have to beat people over the head with it. There are all sorts of shortcuts where you can cram all sorts of information into a two minute video. As long as it's somewhat related, you know, you can cram two or three times the amount of information into a video than you would if, if it was just a written script because you can show so much. I don't like to do slideshows. I like to, you know, to be, you know, talking about something, but also demonstrating something else. It, it really helps to shorten the videos up. Hello, everybody. I hope you have enjoyed the show thus far. In the bio, you will notice that I have posted two links. One is a link to my local guide profile. I am a freelance reviewer for Google Maps. So far, my 70 plus reviews and my over 550 photos have been seen by well over 4.5 million people. I even have several followers now. I have done reviews on sporting venues, restaurants, theme parks, airports, and more across several states. The other is a link to a blog I have started last year. The blog is entitled Going Places, Eating Things, and it is something I definitely look forward to developing even more. Be sure to subscribe to email notifications on the website to know when I make my latest post. It is goingplaceseatingthings.blog. Again, type in goingplaceseatingthings.blog, no caps, no spaces, into your web browser, and you will be taken to my blog. Links to Tom Volk's content are also included in the podcast description. If you like cars half as much as I do, look at what he does. It blows most automotive journalists out of the water, especially on YouTube. Back to the conversation. Uh, yeah, that is uh, very true. Um, and I guess just with that experience at uh, the, the King Broadcasting Network, if I'm not mistaken, that's where Driven also started. Is that correct? That is true. Yeah. Yeah. They were, you know, they were like one of the very, very few TV stations in the country that said, yeah, we'll do car reviews. That's kind of neat. It's a consumer product. And that's the way they looked at it. Um, there are very, very few TV stations that do that, which is really crazy to me because, 
you know, cars are, you know, like we talked about before, they're pop culture, they're status symbols, they're consumer goods, they're transportation, um, they touch on business, they touch on ecology. There's so many different facets to it. And so most people own one, you know? Um, why would you not do stories on cars? And so the folks at the station were very good. And you have to remember at the time, I was a photographer. Um, I was not on camera. Um, uh, you know, I would always write cars, stories about cars. We did a car special every year, but we would also have the reporter would be the talent. You know, they would go, we would go to Detroit and we would do a bunch of stories and I would write them all. They would voice them all and then they would appear on camera. But um, I was a photographer. And um, but when the I said, hey, I can get press cars. Let's do these on a regular basis. Every week we do a car review. My boss said, you know, Volk, go get a haircut, go put on a clean shirt. Um, because the show host that I was working for knew nothing about cars and he was not going to be the talent for it. So that's how I got into being on camera. I actually like the photography and the editing part the best. Yeah, and uh, you already just answered the question I was just about to ask that just perfectly. So would you say after you just kind of got that spot, the rest was history, at least in some extent? Uh, yeah, you know, the thing is that there were people at the station that were not too keen on the idea. Um, and so it was a little bit of a struggle. Um, it was sort of my passion project. So I just kept pounding my head against the wall to make the, the series continue. And it did for about three or four years. And then, um, and then finally the station canceled it. And I was like, fine, I had a great run. And, uh, and literally a month later, I got a phone call out of the blue saying, hey, we found these videos that you're doing and we really like them and we'd like to license them from your station. And I said, well, I'm doing them myself now. My station has nothing to do with it. And they said, oh, great. Well, we'll license them from you. I'm like, okay, who are you? And they're like, oh, I'm Ann Deary with the New York Times. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, so, you know, that was pretty awesome because anybody that works in news um, would love to work for the New York Times. And I feel very privileged to be able to work with the people there because they are the smartest people in the room. Um, they're really great. I've learned so much from them. Um, it's, it's, it's really been a terrific opportunity. So, you know, uh, I've just been lucky. Tenacious, but lucky. Of course. And I just have to ask, for your first driven car review, which car was it? It was the Audi A4 Cabriolet, front wheel drive. It was a tan top, kind of a bronze paint, and I, very much distinctly remember shooting it. And, you know, it was also one of those things that while I was a real car enthusiast and I read Car and Driver, Road and Track, Motor Trend, um, and at the station they got Automotive News, which if anybody hasn't heard about that, 
Um, Automotive News is a really great resource because it also covers the dealerships and financing and you know all of the political stuff that's going behind. But I was all into cars and everything like that. But I quickly realized that when I was finally doing a real review, I really didn't have a baseline knowledge of how to review a car. Um, it sure sounds easy when you're reading a car review or you're watching a video, but the reality is if you don't know how it stacks up, if you haven't driven a BMW 3 Series and the Audi A4 and all of the competition, uh, you know, I really didn't have any business doing car reviews. Um, so, you know, I have to admit the first six months I looked up a lot of different car reviews to kind of figure out, okay, what are people thinking? And then, you know, after about six months, uh, the training wheels kind of came off and I was able to kind of assess vehicles on their own merits and on my own, you know, my own criteria. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, you know, it's like anything. Um, you know, anybody in any profession that makes anything look easy, I've come to realize over the years, they're really good at what they're doing. Because if they're making it look easy, then, then that's something. And with that thing you were just talking about, would you say that was just really the hardest part of just starting to do car reviews, just in the entire process of doing Driven? Yeah, and plus, um, I honestly, I was not an on-camera guy, and uh, somewhere, someplace, um, I I have all of the reviews. They're on videotape, um, and but it was when our station was first shooting HD, so every single one of these pieces is in like super pristine HD because the high-definition cameras that King TV bought were super good. Um, really high quality cameras. Um, so they all looked good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was really awkward. Um, I just wasn't an on-camera guy. And, you know, I'm still kind of like, whatever. But, you know, I think the car is really important. It's not so much me, you know, while, you know, I try to move the piece along and make it interesting. You know, the piece is always about the car. That's what people are interested in. They're not really so much interested in me. But I can't necessarily say that either, just because the personality of the person also giving the car review is also important. And even just based off what yeah. you're saying, um, you know, I, would, I don't think anyone in your audience would have ever guessed that you had an awkward phase of trying to learn how to do car reviews, <laughs> like a puberty of sorts oh. on camera. <laughs> oh, it was awkward, man. Garrett, it was, it was you know, I think maybe that's what was entertaining about the first six months of, of that was just me being just kind of dorky. But um, yeah, um, you know, uh, but, you know, you, you live, you learn, um, you know, you, you, you figure things out. Um, and it's, and it's good to be my own photographer because, um, you know, if, if I don't get a shot, um, I know who to blame. You know, I can go right to the source and say, you screwed up. 
I guess also, would you say that's kind of also an advantage to just kind of being the one man show, you know where to go to, you know, okay, I know what I did wrong. Um, if you don't fix yeah. this, you're fired, um, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a one man operation, but you have to understand that one, my wife is very supportive. My wife who really could care less about cars. I mean, she could care less about cars. Um, and, you know, I always need somebody to drive the car because yeah. I can't shoot the car if it's not moving. Um, so during this COVID situation, you know, she drove some of the cars, but she didn't want to drive high performance cars. Um, I have very good friends, uh, Martin Campbell and Rob Calero, and they're very good about getting up really early on Saturday or Sunday mornings, sometimes even on a weekday, taking a day off from their day jobs because they have day jobs. I'm, I'm an automotive writer. Um, and they come out and they drive the cars. And yeah, they're car guys too. They're interested in, but I couldn't do it without these people. And you know how it is. I mean, even, you know, you, I'm assuming you're a one man operation as well, but there are people you learned from. There are people that support you. There are all sorts of things. Nobody does anything alone. You always depend on somebody, even if it's just a little bit. Um, but that little bit can make the difference between something being really good and really average. Yeah, that is very true. And a perfect example of that is really the people who will appear just before this episode. Um, I remember I filled the episode um, this past Sunday, the Super Bowl Sunday. And just for a point of reference, everybody, this episode's recorded February 10th, 2021. But back to what I was saying, um, I remember what should have happened was it should have just been an hour shoot, but due to technical difficulties and because Zoom only allows two people to just do an unlimited meeting, if it's three people, it's time capped at 40 minutes and then internet issues because it's across you know two different states. I mean, it was like, it was terrible. Like it went to a three hour ordeal and you know, the average person would have been like, you know what, look, I gotta go, I'm sorry, but you know, they stuck it through. They were willing to not only just stick it through, but they're also willing to do it on a Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, nonetheless. So, you yeah. know, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, a lot of people on this journey who have just uh, really talked with me, um, especially you, um, in, in many ways as well. It's like, it's really an effort of people just taking the time and saying, you know what, I like what you're doing and I'm willing to help you pursue your mission of what you're trying to do. And you know, look, I understand that you could be editing a video right now. I understand that you could be spending time with your wife. You know, at the same time, uh, I really do appreciate it that you and individuals who have really also appeared on the show have really taken the time of, you know, just talking with me. And, you know, for this season, unlike the, the first season I did, I'm branching out to people that, you know, I'm not as familiar with. Talking, we, you know, with a person who has over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, there's a risk that the person can say no. That was, that was a risk I was willing to take. And, you know, I think it's paid off. But at the same time, I completely agree with you. There's no way you can just do this on your own. That, that is completely far from the truth. There's no way you can yeah, and, and um, it's really important for me to give back 
in my industry. I mean, and, and, and not just automotive writing. I mean, I was 18 years old and I was not ready to become a television cameraman. Um, I wasn't, but there were people at KDLH TV that were patient and skilled and very generous with their time. And they helped me become, you know, a halfway decent photographer. Because when I started off, I was horrible. Um, I know that the news director wanted to fire me. And so, but I just kept working really, really hard and saying, okay, I'm doing this wrong. How can I get it right? And there was uh, the chief photographer by the name of Ron Lund. And he spent hours with me, you know, showing me how to do things. And then there was another photographer there, Mark Goodermote and Tom Crone. These guys, I really looked up to them. They helped me. And so I kind of feel like, you know, if I can help you, if I can help anybody out there, it's really important for me to be able to give back. I try to help people, you know, who are just starting in broadcasting, you know, give them photography tips, give them editing tips, because, you know, it's all kind of a club, you know, if, if you get people and give them good information, you know, higher tides raise all boats. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that right, but it, it's just really important. It's really important to be able to communicate to communicate clearly. <laughs> right. You're good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's really important to communicate clearly. And by communicating clearly and showing good video, um, making sure that things are written correctly, journalists, whether you're, you know, at CNN or a local television station or the New York Times, it's your responsibility to get things out accurately. And I know that some people think that the New York Times is biased and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what to say other than it's really important not to silo yourself off from different news sources. It's really important to look at a bunch of different news sources and really figure out what is going on because, you know, if you, and now I'm going down the rabbit hole of journalism, <laughs> if you're not looking at multiple sources, it's really easy to just start believing what you want to believe. Yeah. And believing what you want to believe is not important. I mean, you know, it's like people will say, you know, if I cover, uh, you know, for years and years and years, I've been saying that Hyundai and Kia cars are really very, very good vehicles. And people are like, oh, those are crappy cars. You know, they're really cheap. They're made in Korea, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the reality is, is no, if you take a look around, if you actually do the research, you'll find that these are very, very good cars. They're very competitive. And the reality is, is that there aren't really any crappy cars being made anymore. The worst cars today are nearly as good as the best cars were 10 years ago. So there I go. Sorry, Garrett, I rambled <laughs> on and on. Hey, you're you're completely good. And you know, with that that news, uh, with the thing that you were saying about making sure you look at uh, balanced news sources, uh, I just couldn't help but think about the review you did with the Audi e-tron when you made a joke about NPR. And uh, 
as a person who oh. listens to NPR pretty much every day and looks at NPR stories, uh, that was pretty funny, I have to admit. <laughs> I just, actually, the, I started that car up and the tone went up and it was like, is NPR on? I mean, it was like, it, I, I really honestly thought that the radio was on. And, and funny that you should bring that up because I had a hell of a time recording that tone. It's those little details that it's really difficult. You have to try to find out what speaker that tone is coming from and it's bouncing around the car. Yeah. Um, just a funny story. Um, there's a producer by the name of Doug Berman and he produces the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, and he also produces, uh, used to produce Car Talk. I made some crack about NPR and he emailed me and he said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I really like your, your reviews. I was like, what? You know, I mean, this guy's an excellent, excellent producer. So every once in a while, um, you know, I'll make some crack about NPR and he'll go, hey, hey, hey. Of course, of course. I remember another joke that I found really funny. Um, I was looking at a, a video of yours just before it, you came on and we had this conversation. It was with the... Mercedes-Benz GLS, and it was with the uh, suspension system. I think it was called the free ride suspension system. And, you know, I remember when you just kept bouncing it up and down. It looked like hydraulics, to be honest with you. And then I just heard your joke, and I'm like, yeah, I feel that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the funny thing is, is when I was shooting at that, there were some guys across the street that were <laughs> laughing hysterically because, you know, I mean... It didn't have to be said, and I didn't say it. I just said, yeah, I know what you're probably thinking. You know, it looks like people are having sex in the car. Um, <laughs> it, it just does. The thing is rocking back and forth, and it's a great visual. But, you know, it's rocking back and forth because if you were stuck in sand by doing that, it helps to free the car. Yeah. But the visual is is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're you're doing these videos. Um, I tend to be, I I tend to goof around. Um, I like to have a good time as much as the next guy. It's it's good to throw a little bit of humor into it. I mean, I'm by no stretch of the imagination a comedian, but you know, there are just certain things that just strike me as funny, and I'll just point them out. That quality is really in all of us, and. Uh... I guess another element of that humor as well is, um, you know, I just had to bring this up again. It's uh, your twin brother. Is he as knowledgeable about cars as you are, or do you kind of have to guide him along in, ep in episodes? No, nope. okay. uh, twin <laughs> could really care less about cars. He's he's all about uh, the catering, and hmm. the uh, and he he's all about back seats. He's all about comfort. That's all he cares about. And you'll notice he doesn't show up when back seats are really super cramped. He's like, mm, I think I'll pass on that. But uh, he's uh, he's not particularly easy to work with. He always <laughs> wears the same clothes and seldom aids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you still got some uh, sibling rivalry right there. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. He seems to think mom likes him best, but you know, I'll, I'll just let him believe that delusion. Uh, that is uh, absolutely hilarious. And I did notice that thing, what you were saying about the back seats, because when you did the uh, review with the Mercedes Benz E-Class coupe, he wasn't there, so. No, 
No. And, you know, the surprise was on him. You know, the E-Class Coupe is actually okay in the back. Um, I'm five foot nine, um, statistically average for, you know, an American male. And um, I had no problem. I mean, you know, coupes, it's kind of a hassle to get into the back. But, you know, the reality is, look at every car on the road, right? How many right. times do you see people in the back seat? How do you, how many times do you see people in the passenger seat? Not very often. Yeah. People yeah. drive alone. They really do. You know, we love our big cars, um, but the reality is most of us could get by with a Miata, you know? <laughs> and we would be having a lot more fun because the Miata is an absolute joy to drive. Would you say that as well with uh, the Miata as well as the LR? That's just um, something you just enjoy driving. And do you have a particular favorite you like to take the shoots when you do stuff, when you need that, uh, you need to, someone needs to drive the car and you just, you know, kind of are the person who just follows them around? Um, is there a particular car you have a favorite with or? Uh, oh, like to shoot out of? Like right. a support vehicle? Um, right. You know what? No, the uh, what happens is um, we just usually, you know, like these days with COVID, um, we mask up and, you know, Martin and or Rob will sit in the back seat and we'll drive out together. Um, and just because it's more convenient, you know, I don't do car to car all that often just because, you know, typically... I don't shoot in my neighborhood. When I'm photographing a car, it's really important for me to find different neighborhoods and streets and roads that don't have other cars because it's really important for me to have the audience focusing on the car that I am talking about. And if there's another car on the road, or if there are cars parked on the side of the road, it's like, oh, that's a nice car. Oh, that one. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's an old Volvo. Those are super cool. <laughs> um, it's distracting. And so if you look at my videos, very, very, very seldom will you ever see another car in my videos. In fact, there was one that comes to mind. I can't remember the car. One of the most, one of the big comments was, wow, did you see that old Volvo? I wonder, I wonder if they're, hey, do you know what neighborhood this is? Because I want to contact them, see if they're willing to sell the car. I was like, no, no. I, yeah, I don't tell people where I shoot. I yeah. shoot on the east side a lot. I shoot up north a lot. Um, but, you know, I just, I shoot in areas where there aren't any other cars. Um, and, and, and so it's just important for people to focus on the car that I'm talking about. Just really, whether it be for this year or through the course of, you know, really this entire pandemic we've been in, have you had a favorite car that you've driven in recent memory? Um, you know, I don't really have super favorite cars. I mean, cost no object. If I were to buy a car right now, I think I'd buy a Porsche Taycan 4S. One, I've really come to appreciate the power and the engineering of electric vehicles. I really like them. It's the reason why I bought my ELR. I couldn't afford a fully electric car, but I really like the idea that I could kind of dip my toe into the electric vehicle lifestyle and figure it out. And it's important for me to be able to do that. I do love Porsches just simply because, yeah, they're expensive. But the thing about Porsches is that I just got out of 
a 911 turbo cabriolet and it was nearly fully maxed and it was $228,000. Okay. Not cheap. Obviously not everybody listening to this is going to run out and buy one just because I said it's a great vehicle. Um, but the reality is, yeah, it's expensive, but then you look at something like uh, a Ferrari Portofino, which is only rear wheel drive. And it starts at $250,000, right? Okay, and people are saying, oh yeah, but it's a Ferrari. But the reality is the Porsche has better performance. It's all-wheel drive. This one's fully maxed out. The Ferrari is, you know, at 250, it's base model. So yes, Porsches are expensive, but the bang for the performance buck that they give you is kind of second to none. And, you know, we've talked about all the work that I put into my editing and my videos and the writing and all that kind of stuff. I really appreciate when anybody does a really good job doing anything, you know, whether it's making a really great breakfast cereal, anytime anybody spends time to make something really awesome, I like that, whether it would be a Cayman, a GTS 4.0, or um, or a Taycan 4S, or a 911, which is like a super classic car. I really appreciate the work that went into it to really get it right. So the materials inside the interior are perfect and perfectly crafted. Um, so yeah, that's the long way of telling you that if I were going to be buying a car myself, I would probably buy a, a Taycan 4S. That would be my car. But I will also say, getting off really expensive cars, the one thing that I really appreciate in a vehicle is when there's an affordable vehicle, like say a Honda Accord, you know, that car, average price, $35,000, looks great, drives great has a beautiful interior, it's fast, it handles well. That's a dark art, right? A black art, because you're making something that's affordable, but yet somebody wants it, right? That's hard to do in an age where anytime an automaker can literally save a penny on a part or a material, um, they're making 300,000 uh, 300, of anything they're saving a dollar on something, that's $300,000 that they save. So it's really important to get that balance right. It's very, very difficult to do, and not every automaker does that. Again, probably preaching to the choir here, but you know, some automakers have been infamously charged with the accusation and or truth that they have skimped out on their interiors, their exteriors, their powertrains, and it's hurt their image. So yeah, that is extremely true. Yeah, I try to call it out. The other thing that I have to say is, is that when I'm reviewing a car, I try to put myself in the shoes of the person that would actually be buying the car because I am not going to be comparing a Nissan Versa to an Audi A3. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, the cars cost twice as much. And so you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's thinking about buying the car. You know, if somebody's thinking about buying a Nissan Versa, which to be really honest with you, the previous generation was fairly dreadful, but the new generation, $21,000 fully loaded, it's actually a pretty good deal. Think about a single parent 
that needs a new car with a warranty because they need it to be reliable. That's pretty good. Not everybody has a brother or an uncle or a parent who really knows how to buy a good used car. So buying something inexpensive that's brand new and that has a warranty, it's appealing to somebody. And so you have to look at who's buying the car. You have to look at what the product is. You can't just simply say, oh, that's a terrible car. You know, you, you have to really look at the whole package. Uh, that is very, very, very true. And I feel like that also just ties into another point that you've always said in your videos, which is just the importance of looking at more than one car as well, especially when you consider buying one. Oh yeah. I mean, look, as we talked about before, a car could very well be the most important purchase that somebody ever makes, right? Um, the average price of a car is $40,000. Um, why would you just say, oh, Tom Volk says that the Honda Accord is a great car. I'm going to buy that. Well, that's stupid, right? Okay. I like to think I know a little bit about a car, but it may not be right for you. Um, you might need the versatility of a crossover or an SUV. You may put a super high priority on handling and performance. You need to know what you like. And then, you know, say you're looking at a Honda CRV as far as an SUV crossover. You find out the three or four that are the most competitive that, in that segment and go out and experience them. Don't just go up on the internet. Don't look at my videos or look at Motor Trends videos or Doug DeMiro or whomever. You need to go out and experience it because you really don't know what the materials look like until you see it in person. I mean, I try to do my best to make sure you really know what the materials look like, whether they look expensive or cheap. But at the end of the day, you need to satisfy yourself. You need to go out there. You need to do the research. Um, and I always say that if there's an auto show in your area, wait for that and then go look at everything. That's the best way to do really thorough research. Um, I think auto shows are great. I know a lot of people think that those are going away. That's a shame. I'm not so sure that's true. We'll see in the next couple of years. But being able to go from car to car where everything is fresh in your mind, go into the back seat, go into the front seat, talk to a representative, see what the features are. It's really important. You'll see things that you didn't consider and it might change your mind. So yeah, get out there, do your research. I'm a big, big fan of people doing that. Yeah. And I feel like this last point I'm going to make, is just going to, I guess, be music to your ears, but price quotes. Price quotes. <laughs> okay. So I started up a price quote service and I, I really hate being the guy <laughs> trying to sell people on things. And I, I, that's not why I did it. Here's the deal. I'm going to use my example of, of when my wife was buying her car. Um, she wanted a plug-in hybrid because she really liked, you know, not buying gas. She hates going to the gas station. That was her main criteria for buying the car. So finally, we narrowed it down to three different vehicles. Um, we, we narrowed it down to a, like a used BMW i3 and a used Chevy Volt and a Chevy Bolt and a couple others. Um, and, you know, I think buying a used car, you know, like off lease is really good because somebody else takes the depreciation hit. But some manufacturers 
have pricing structures that allow the dealerships to have significant room to deal with you um, and others don't. And you don't know that unless you actually talk to a dealership. Um, and so, you know, cars.com has it, everyday driver has price quotes, I have price quotes. So whether you're using mine or somebody else's, um, it's really important to go out and find out what the real world price is on a car. Um, General Motors is a really good example of that. We were literally about to buy a used Chevy Volt because it was $21,000. It was like $8,000 off the MSRP if it was new, you know, so. But I thought, you know, I'm going to call up the Chevy dealership and find out what's going on. Well, they had all sorts of rebates and spiffs and financing stuff that I would not have known about. And she got a $36,000 car. They gave her $9,000 worth of discounts because it was the end of the year. And then because it was a new car, there was the $7,500 federal tax credit when that was still applicable. And so at the end of the day, $36,000 car, we got it for about $19,000 after the federal tax credit. And that's simply because I went, well, I'll check with the dealer. So um, General Motors tends to give tons and tons of room. Whenever I do a General Motors uh, review, I will say, hey, you know, yes, the MSRP on this vehicle, I'm driving the new Buick Envision right now. And the MSRP on that vehicle is $42,000. My guess is between rebates that are already starting to happen on that vehicle and dealing with the dealer, you're not going to pay $42,000 for that car. It's going to be, I mean, I can't say because, you know, I don't know how hot that vehicle is because everybody wants SUVs and crossovers, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's just the long way of saying you gotta check, um, you know, you never know. Maybe there's a, your dream car that you really, really want and you're saying, well, I can't afford it because it's $50,000. Check, what do you have to lose? You know, contact dealer, say, I can afford $40,000. You might get it, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's true. I mean, we got $9,000 off on a, on a $36,000 car, it could happen. Um, you never know, you know, different dealerships because they sell more cars than other dealerships get better deals from the manufacturers. One dealership might be able to give you a deal, the other dealership, maybe not. So not only do you shop, you know, for price at one dealership, check a couple dealerships. Um, and it, and it is true Buy at the end of the month, because then there are some dealerships who really want to move their vehicles. They might even sell it for under what they paid for it, because if they sell enough, their volume, they get, um, they get bonuses from the manufacturers and it makes it worth their while. So yeah, do your homework, get out there, uh, get, get a price quote. It's, it's really important.
you live close to Greenville, Mississippi, the podcast is even on the radio. Tune in to WDSV 91.9 every Saturday at 3 p.m. on the radio to listen to the show. You can also listen online at WDSV919.org. Again, that is WDSV919.org. No caps. Let's return to the conversation with Tom. As we close out our just amazing conversation, something I always like to do when I just talk with anybody for the podcast is I like to just give them a moment to just talk about something that we talked in the show that you wanted to expound upon more or something else completely different that you want to talk about that you feel like needs to be highlighted. Do you have anything in your mind that satisfies either of those categories? You know, Garrett, I think I've rambled on and on and on and on and on. And, and I do try to not waste people's time. Um, and so I don't know, you know, go out, do what you love to do. Maybe you can't make a living at it, but, you know, once you're done with your job, go find things that you love to do, find your passion. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough so that, you know, yeah, I always loved working at the TV stations, but then, you know, my passion was always cars. It was my useless command of knowledge. I was able to then not just have a great job at a TV station, but double that fun. I was working at a great TV station and doing car reviews. And so be persistent, don't give up. I think a lot of people think that it's really easy for me. Um, I pound my head against the wall so many different times, you know, whether it's, you know, making sure that I, I do enough takes so I don't sound like a complete idiot um, or just, you know, hammering away at a manufacturer to give me a car that I really want because I think it's really important to, to profile. But um, yeah, um, I told you I, I wasn't going to, keep yammering on but you know here i go so what about you i mean what what do you want to do well uh that's a very interesting question tom um what i want to do is you know i want to you know first graduate college and then after college i want to actually go to law school um that's something that's uh, been on my radar for a while now i'm still trying to figure out which law school i want to go to though i feel like i kind of have it down at this point but you know even despite, you know, just going to the future, I'm a sophomore, you know, I'm going to plan on starting to study for the LSAT this summer. But, you know, even though law school really isn't that far away in the grand scheme of things, cars is something I definitely want to continue to take with me. Um, it's something I've always been passionate about. Um, I also have to admit that I also relate to what you're saying. Most of the people around me, like, could care less about cars and the people who are, you know, just who could talk about cars, they're like, they just lose interest after about 10 minutes. So, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, um, is definitely a very niche topic, but, you know, it's something that I feel like we're both very passionate about. Despite what goes on in the future, um, I want cars to be a part of it. It's been something that I've just always loved. I've always been that guy who's carried the uh, Motor Trend magazine. I've always been the guy who's always like looking at, you know, a whole bunch of other different guys on YouTube for cars and things of that nature. I have to admit you're my favorite. Yeah, that's just pretty much it. Um, I could ramble on about that as well, but uh, that's kind of the gist of it for right now. Well, good luck. Um, you know, it's 
just keep plugging away. That's my greatest, uh, my greatest talent is just persistence and realizing that, you know, you don't have to get paid to enjoy something. Um, you know, I, I make enough so that, you know, this is, you know, great that I can, you know, pay some bills and all that kind of stuff with, with what I do. Very happy that my wife has a good paying job <laughs> and good health care. <laughs> Even though um, I'm not exactly uh, getting paid for the podcast, you know, it's just still something that I just always enjoy doing. You know, it kind of started off as a uh, assignment, actually, for one of my uh, journalism classes last semester. I went way above and beyond for the assignment. The episode needed to be two minutes long. I made it the first one 20 minutes long, and then the subsequent ones have been like 40 plus minutes and things of that nature, just because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much, you know, I decided to continue it on for a second season. Parents gave even gave me a mic to kind of go with everything, but you know, I think the TD Ameritrade commercial is right. The best investments aren't measured in dollars. And, you know, I've really enjoyed this investment so far. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if you ever decide that you would want to change career paths, you'd make a good journalist. Yeah. That could also just be another thing in the future as well, just because, you know, part of what you're, what I'm doing with this process is you still have to do research. You still have to do, you know, uh, your homework, especially when you talk to people and things of that nature. So, there are some journalistic elements involved in this, but at the same time, um, especially since I'm majoring in journalism, I have a minor in uh, business administration, my accounting classes. Anyway, um, but at the same time, uh, I would say that journalism is something that I can always definitely go back to. Um, I kind of started off in journalism uh, by an accident. Um, I was put in the wrong class, and even when I tried to change it, um, I unfortunately was not able to get out the class, but Fortunately, it all ended up working out as I guess you could put it. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, um, I will encourage anybody to get into journalism. Journalism has been the best education of how the world really works that you could ever get. It's absolutely priceless. All the things that I've seen you know, I've done it for decades and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been all around the world. I've seen behind the scenes of so many different things. I've met celebrities. I've met politicians. I've met even more important than that, people that are really making a difference in communities and in the world. And you don't have to be a celebrity to do that. It's really neat. Um, you know, I know that, you know, journalists are up there with lawyers with, you know, how people, you know, regard people. But it, it's like, you don't understand, you know, not all journalists are going to get it right. Um, you know, you have to pick and choose your sources. And you need to do a little bit of work yourself. But I can say that as a journalist and somebody that's worked in in television and and that have that's written for the New York Times, it's great. I get to talk to automotive engineers and designers and anybody that I want to. I mean, to have that access to people, um, you know, like like you, you know, emailing me and saying, "Hey, you want to talk on the podcast?" All your other guests. You know, all the things that you learn, you know, if you're just talking to anybody, it's just great. You know, there's not really 
a set limit on how many times I can say this. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It is just extremely appreciated, especially with your just extremely busy schedule, you know, doing TP trunk test and, you know, trying to get that evil twin to work with you, you know, things of that nature. So I, I really cannot <laughs> express how much this is appreciated, Tom. I really cannot. It was good talking to you. You, you do a great job and, you know, good luck on your podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest episode of the show. Also, a special shout out is needed for Diamond Style for the amazing music, as always. If you liked what you listened to, I hope you would consider subscribing and even jumping over to YouTube to see our conversation in video format. It's over Zoom for obvious reasons. But by doing so, I think it will only serve to enhance the experience of the podcast. We have had a lot of great shows and guests this season and have even more on the way. Thanks again to Tom Folk for making the time to have a great conversation with some college student from Mississippi. I'm not going to talk anymore. Goodness knows this episode has been long enough. If you powered through this episode from beginning to end, you deserve a medal. Let me know if you watched the entire thing in the comments, and please let me know what you thought of the episode. Be honest. Seriously. Until next time and beyond, continue to stay prosperous. Stay prosperous.